The world is constantly changing. We change styles, we change friends, we change loyalties, but the God of the universe doesn't change. He isn't diluted by our sin or our opinions. Darkness can't overtake him. So when we come in contact with him, our selfishness and pride melt like ice to water. God's light shines into the darkest crevices of our heart and we are transformed. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are transformed by his mercy. We change in the way we treat the poor and the rich, where we would normally mouth off and speak out of turn, we bite our tongue. Where we would normally flex our greatness, we hold off in humility. Ultimately, we don't do good things to earn Jesus' love. We show mercy because a greater grace was shown to us. As we move through our series in the book of James, we can find confidence in the love of God and we can live it out because ultimately, faith works. James Wisdom for Real Life. Good morning, City Life Church. Glad to be here with you all today. Uh, It's uh, one of those holiday weekends, and so I'm always wondering who's going to be here. Stoked that you guys are here today. Um, If you would, uh, please turn to your Bibles in James 5 is when we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles available over there. We have uh, loner Bibles, which is like lonely Bibles. And then we have really nice Bibles as well if you'd like to um, get one of those and uh, drop 10 bucks in the offering for the nice study Bibles. And if you don't have the money, take it. We would love for you to have it. It's more important to us that you take that Bible and get a good study Bible. Um, for our translation, Buenos dias, si necesita escuchar el sermón en español, tenemos dispositivos de traducción para usted al costado de la sala. All right, so I'm going to jump right in today. Um, we're in James 5, 1 through 9. And uh, uh, here we go. Come now, you rich people. Now, I just want to ask before we go any further, does anyone remember what, uh, what scholars believe come now means? Um, we talked about it last week. I know I forget my own sermon. So does anyone remember what come now meant? Anyone got an interpretation of that? Child, please. That's right. Um, some people said wake up. Other people said you've got to be kidding me. Um, but I translate it as child, please. Um, okay, so I'm going to start over again. Verse 1. Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Who's encouraged already? Come on. Um, You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your field cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. Now, um, it's just an interesting question before I go any further. Um, do you think he's talking to believers here or to non-believers? Non-believers? I mean, it's a letter to the church, right? But I, I, let me just tell you, like as I researched, scholars are like split right across the aisle. Now, in the next section, he's about to say to the Christians, and so you have to ask yourself, like, is he talking to Christians there or not? And the, the answer is, I, I don't know. Um, but here, this next section, I can promise you that he's talking to Christians because he clarifies, because he says, brothers and sisters. 
Okay, ready? Therefore, verse 7, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Would you pray with me, friends? Father, uh, this room is chock full of people who are impatient. I being uh, the most impatient, I guess. Um, God, we get mad when, when our pizza's late, we drive fast, we eat fast, and we have no time to slow down. God, would you help us to understand your plan to save us and how it's unfolded over thousands and thousands of years. In your patience, you carved out majestic canyons, Lord, and valleys over millions of years. And here we stand, these tiny, insignificant people, and God, we don't know how to have patience. We don't know how to have patience with you, let alone with others. God, we know that we don't deserve the patience you have given us. So we ask that you would teach us this morning. Would you teach us by your word? Would you change us? May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise. Would you agree? In politics, I'm not going to talk about politics, but in politics, when a leader gets up front and promises they will bring change, do we like full on believe it? Like, really? Don't mention anyone by name, I swear. I will. Um, but no, why? Well, it's because um, politicians are often dishonest. <laughs> and politicians often lack the power to even make the change. It's often in the hands of many other people as well. And so when we hear a politician get in front of us and say, I'm going to do this thing, we all kind of look at them sideways and go, mm, okay, maybe. Um, how about this? When the owner of the Padres promises us a World Series win in 2020, or 2021, do we believe that promise? Um, anyone? I'm saying yes, but I mean, I know that that's like uh, not reality. Um, when it comes down to it, no, because the Padres always lose. They've never won a World Series before. So why would we trust them now? Okay, how about when I tell my child that I promise I will buy them a particular toy for their birthday? Can they trust my promise? Well, I would say probably um, because if I make that promise, the toy is already like in hand purchased. Because I'm not going to be doing that like, remember that Arnold Schwarzenegger jingle all the way thing where the dude like goes in, is like stomping on people trying to get into the Walmart to get that toy. I would not do that. So I'm not making that promise unless I'm good for it. But even still, like there's no promise. There's no promise that I can make. I mean, I'm an imperfect human being. And I am limited in my resources and I am limited in that I don't even know what tomorrow will bring for me. People make promises all the time. But the Lord has promised that he is coming soon, and he's coming with mercy, and he's also coming with justice. And the question for us today is, are we ready for that? And so today I have three truths you can take to the bank. Three truths you can take to the bank. And it's funny because, you know, I I say it in my head, and then I say it out loud for the first time, and I realize it's a little bit of a tongue twister. Three truths you can take to the bank. Um, And my first point is this, Uh, unshared blessings poison the soul. Don't you love how merry this is? Good job, Reuben. And then my my, message is like the most unmerry looking (laughs) thing ever. Great job, Reuben, on the the design, but um, I'm the downer today. Verse one, come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted. Your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. 
you have stored up treasure in the last days. Wow, that is like tough, tough language, right? So, A, I got to say, this is not a con condemnation of wealth, okay? This is not a condemnation of wealth. There are plenty of godly people in the Bible with cash money who used it for God's glory, right? And then there are plenty of poor people in the Bible who, they're jerks, right? So, so here we have God condemning the rich that are unwilling to share those possessions with others in need. When your money and your possessions take the main place of your heart, they become demons, so last week, we looked at how uh, stuff had given the rich a false sense of security. But here we are seeing it goes further than that. He, he is saying this wealth that is just sitting, um, it's hurting you. It's enslaving you. It's dragging you to hell. It says their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Man, he does not mince words, does he? James, I love James, man. I feel like if James had a Twitter account today, we would have like blocked him by now and said there's no interest in hearing what James has to say. We would have called him all kinds of names. We would have called him, mm, okay, no, I'm going to stay out of politics. But, but here's the question. Now, now, as he condemns these things, is he just regular condemning all these things? And I, I would say no. So like if James is saying... Um, your clothes are moth-eaten. Is James condemning clothes? No. No, clothes are good, right? Like, unless, yeah, clothes are good. So when does a moth eat clothing is the question. When does a moth eat clothing? Uh, are moths usually eating your clothing when you're wearing it? No, no. A moth only eats your clothes when you're leaving it in your closet, when it's sitting idle. When there are things sitting in your closet that are not being worn, the moth starts to eat it. Now, let me tell you, as I was preparing this, this sermon, I was like, ooh, I got that stuff, I got that stuff, I need to give that away. I mean, I was feeling this sermon, okay, I was feeling it. Um, but no, it's just, they were sitting idle, being unused. Your clothing that is being eaten by moth is clearly not important to you, and when there are people cold outside that could use it. So this is not him saying, don't have clothes. It's, don't have clothes if you're not going to use it when you could give that clothing to someone else who needs it. Okay, um, how about this? When is gold and silver corroded? When does that happen? Well, it's kind of a trick question, because almost never. <laughs> like, these metals are so pure that often it takes so much to corrode them. That's why when you go to ancient Egypt, because you know I'm going to work that into my sermon, and you look at King Tut, um, I mean, it was like, blocked off, but still he looks beautiful in his like sarcophagus, right? Gold, pure, beautiful gold. It does not corrode easy. So that means that he's just trying to make a point that something that feels so strong, something that we could build our security on, still, still can be corroded. Um, it's sitting unused. Now, about three months ago, our barbecue died. It was a, a nice little barbecue, little Coleman, um, like, but it was like so bad that like the bottom fell out of the barbecue, you know, when that happens, that, that's what happened to our barbecue. So we researched barbecues and we ended up finding the best barbecue we could that was under $200. Now, if I could buy a barbecue every six months, um, I would just put the barbecue out there and just leave it and just let stuff happen to it. But you better believe that I bought a cover to it. You better believe that every time I'm done barbecuing, we set a little timer that says, put the cover back on the barbecue. Why is that? It's because this is my only barbecue. <laughs> I'm not going to get another barbecue. And if I, if, I, if I have the bottom fall out of our barbecue in a couple months, my wife is not going to be real excited because she, she does the finances for me to go and buy another barbecue. So you better believe that even on 
uh, on, on Wednesday, it's pouring rain. I'm out there making burgers. You got to believe that I'm waiting still to put that thing back on because I do not want it to rust or corrode because that's the only barbecue I have. It's the only barbecue I'm going to have for, for a minute. So um, I'm going to cherish the barbecue if it's my main thing. If I got five barbecues, I might not do the same thing, right? When my kid or a kid, just some like random kid, I'm not going to say my kid, leaves their bike out in the rain, it tells me that that bike is not important to them, which someone's kid did that. But God is telling the rich that their money is rusted, and he's telling them this because they would rather save it up for themselves than share it with others. James tells the oppressive rich to weep and howl. That word howl is the word aludzo. Alaludzo, excuse me, alaludzo. Now, this is a loud lament or wail when words just won't do. He's saying you got to feel this up in your craw, right? Like this kind of response should be a response to the worst or even the best news in your life, guttural, beyond words. James is calling them to a repentance that is like deep inside you. Now, if you have a car, God has given you your car to give people rides to their doctor's appointments. Um, uh, someone in here has like barely drives their own truck. Everybody else in the church do, uses it. Do you have a gift or a talent? God is telling you, do not allow this talent to rust. Do not allow this talent to become moth-eaten, especially if you're a good rapper in the room and I see you and I want you to rap for us. Do you have a home? God gave you that home to invite others into that home. If it lies idle without other people getting to enjoy it or use it, I, I worry that God won't trust us with more. So let me put it this way, because that's, that's not just going to spoil for you, but I got, I got a better one. Okay, I love Halloween. I know most of you guys don't know that in the room, but I love Halloween. When I grew up as a kid, me and my brother, the only time we spent together was when we made haunted houses. And the purpose of that haunted house was to make some kid get so scared that he peed himself. That was the goal of our haunted houses. Now, we love trick-or-treating, too. And I love, to this day, still taking my kids trick-or-treating. In the same way, I love to hand out Halloween candy. And usually what we do is we find some Halloween candy that I am not able to eat. <laughs> That's a good way to think of it. But sometimes we'll get Snickers. And, I, and I'm not allergic to Snickers, and I love Snickers, and I will eat an entire bag, especially around 3 a.m. That is when Snickers just tastes the best, right? Is there anyone else? Can I get a witness in, there, in the room? Snickers tastes best at 3 a.m. Um, but here's the thing. I have a big thing of Halloween candy. And in our neighborhood, a lot of the kids don't trick-or-treat in our neighborhood, do they? They usually go to Golden Hill. They go to Coronado. They go to other places where they, they think the rich people are going to give them more candy, which is not true, by the way. Um, there's a lot of candy in our neighborhood because nobody trick-or-treats in our neighborhood. But when a kid comes to my door and I have a big thing of Snickers, is it a good idea for me to give them one Snicker and then keep the rest for myself? No, no. That will rot up in my belly and my teeth. So in, in many ways, I need to be generous with that candy or else it will poison me because I will eat it all at 3 a.m. And in the same way, God is saying, don't hold on to all this stuff because it's going to poison you. It's going to rot your teeth. It's going to rot in a different way. But, you know, in the same way, don't hold on to all your things so that you can have it for yourself because in this way, God is saying that it's not necessarily just good for you. Now, hear the words of Jesus from Luke 12, 33 through 34. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourself 
that won't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's interesting. Do you kind of feel like maybe James is uh, bringing back the words of his brother Jesus here? I think he is. Um, Now, before you call me a communist, um, which, you know, if you're on social media, then you probably have called me a communist or a Marxist or a socialist. I'm not telling you that our government should force people to give all of their excess money to the poor. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, is that the Holy Spirit might be calling you to generosity. And that might actually mean you need to separate yourself from your money. You can complain to me about a government taking 60% of your assets, but what if God wants all of you? What if God wants all of you? That's not communism. That's death to yourself. That's next level. Okay, so James talks about what holding on to our riches can do to us. Next, James goes after those who build their finances by breaking the backs of the less fortunate. And that's our second point that you can take to the bank. God hears the suffering of the worker. God hears the suffering of the worker. Fa la 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 la. Love that scream. Looks so good. Every time I look over, I'm like, oh, that's so fun. All right, verse four. So inappropriate. Verse four. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your field cries out. And the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Now, there's only two places in the Old Testament where God is called the Lord of hosts. And this is one of them. Now, when I think of Lord of hosts being a strong biblical believer, I actually always think of that prayer and meet the parents when uh, Ben Stiller is praying. Has anybody seen that? Oh, sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, because he doesn't know how to pray. Um, But the Lord of hosts is a real intense meaning. Um, It's an interesting term for God. Now, James calls him, I'm going to say it right, uh, Kyrio Sabaoth. I I wish some of you could say this. Kyrio Sabaoth, which means Lord of hosts of hosts, but it also means Lord of armies, like probably like angel armies, like God of angel armies. So when he's saying, um, hey, your sin has reached the God of armies, like we could say it maybe like God of the angel set, the God of the angel crew, the God of the angel homies, whatever, it's meant to intimidate you. It's meant to say, this has reached God who is powerful and stronger than you and has a whole army ready and set against you. Like if I wanted to let you know you should be concerned, I would mention my army when rebuking you. It's a good idea, right? Like if I were trying to threaten Kim Jong-il, right, over in North Korea, I might say, hey, you need to stop with the mistreatment of your people. I'm saying this as one who represents uh, the most powerful army in the history of the world, America. That's what I would say to Kim Jong-il, right? I would try to threaten him by saying, hey, I got some people behind me, okay? This is not just me threatening you. It's everybody threatening you. It's a threat, friends. And then he says in verse 5, you have lived luxuriously on the earth, have indulged yourself. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. James is echoing other parts of Scripture yet again. It's an allusion to Genesis 4.10. Um, a brother kills a brother, and God says, where's your bro at? Um, and he says, I don't know. I don't know where my bro is. Am I supposed to know where my brother is? And, and God says, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. In Exodus 3, 7, the Lord says, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. 
I know about their sufferings and have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. God hears your suffering, friends. God responds to your suffering. The Lord has promised he is coming soon with justice, but also mercy. And I ask, are you ready, friends? God sees the the treatment of the worker and he responds. Now, before I say anything, I just want to say this sermon is just as much for me as it is for you. My Jordans were made in China. My iPad was probably made in China. My computer, my razor blades. I'm trying to work through this myself. I'm about to tell you about something that was new to me that I learned. Has anyone heard of the concept of fast fashion? Fast fashion? Okay, we've got a few people in here who have heard of fast fashion. Um, Let me define it for you. It's defined this way, as cheap, trendy clothing that samples ideas from models or celebrity culture and turn them into garments in high street stores at breakneck speed. So basically, it's this. It's clothes that's made real cheap to emulate the real popular clothes, and it's made so quickly that uh, you don't know really where it came from. Well, but we do know where it came from, right? The prices have to be low, the styles have to be more up to date and quicker, and as our media like, spreads so quickly across the world, it has to be quicker and quicker and quicker. Now, not only does this hurt the environment, this damages human beings. Right. Now, your $5 shirt has a cost that you may be totally unaware of. The conditions for most workers are horrible as they have to pass the savings onto the consumer. That means our $20 jeans can come from a worker in India that's paid around $39 a month. That means cheap clothing uh, producers use children to pick cotton because they are cheap and their small hands don't damage the cotton like adult hands. Does this concern you with all your stuff? It does for me. Perhaps it's time we stop looking for cheap clothes that we will throw away quickly. I would hate to look back and find out that God is talking to us here, that God is talking to us. Now, I'm just going to tell you straight up, some notorious retailers in this industry are Gap, Forever 21, H&M, and yes, Target, okay? Now, some of these these companies are trying to make strides, but I would encourage you to look into it, and I'll give you a way to do that in a second. Now, in this decade, though, it seemed that fast fashion was never going to slow down, and then something awful happened. On April 24, 2013, the Dhaka Garment Factory collapsed in Bangladesh, India. Well, let me go back one day, April 23rd, the day before. Major cracks appeared in the building. The workers were afraid to re-enter the building the next day. The managers said they would withhold a month's salary if they did not return, and then it collapsed. Almost 1,200 people died that day. Another 2,500 were injured. The building owners and the sweatshop managers were charged with murder. They valued money above humans, and I don't think we are too different from them, are we? Because we buy those clothes, and we don't want to know where they came from. It's, it's all of us, right? Can we just agree that there's a lot of times we would rather be ignorant about our clothes than find out where it came from? We would rather have the $5 shirt than find out where it came from? That's in a lot of us. If that's not you, man, you're awesome, and I'm stoked. But I'm just going to say, that echoes in my heart. And I feel like I need to repent of some of the ways I bought my clothing. According to UNICEF, an estimated 170 million children are engaged in child labor, or 11% of the global population of children. That's uh, according to the International Labor Organization. So the question you might have is, what do I do, Pastor? Well, one, there's an app for that. Um, There's one called Good On You, Ethical Fashion, and it's in the Apple Store, and it's in the Google Play Store. It's called Good On You. It's an app. It's imperfect, 
But I encourage you, if this is, is touching your heart, to consider looking up, like, where you buy your clothes next. And I will tell you that if you go to a thrift store, um, you're good, okay? So if you get that Versace or you get that Target shirt at a thrift store for $1, like, I'm down. Like, good for you. Because here it shows that God is keeping score of the way we, we receive our wealth. Let's not deceive ourselves into believing that we will not be held accountable for our actions because we didn't know. Proverbs 21.13 says, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Friends, the Lord has promised he is coming soon with mercy and justice. Are we ready? Now Jesus tells the story of one who actively engaged in this, okay? And it's from Luke 16, 19 through 31. And sometimes, you know, I like to like put things in modern terms and all this stuff. And I just felt like the story was so relevant, so good as it is straight out of the mouth of Jesus that I wanted to put it in his exact words for you, um, or at least as close as we, we can get. So uh, Luke 16, 19 through 31. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. These men would use uh, bread to eat their food. It would make it easier, and then they would throw the bread out. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus by his side. Father Abraham, he cried out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Jesus is speaking of himself, right? He rises from the dead here and still they don't listen to him. And still, sometimes we don't either, do we? Sometimes we say, Jesus, you're great, but I live in like reality, and I'm just not going to follow you in all the ways that you think I should because I, I have to actually have a real life. I don't want people to judge me. I don't want people to look down on me. I really don't want to wear those, those jeans from last year. Um, I know like we all need those mom jeans now because that's the style. I don't get it. But that's the thing that's happening, right? Like we're telling Jesus like, cool, I know what you're saying, but I'm not really there yet. But what if God is here? What if God has come back from the dead to say, hey, it's time to be there? What if James is telling you it's time to go that next step? He says, you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. He says, those who oppress the poor are like cattle being fattened for the slaughter. But it's kind of interesting that he says, you fatten your hearts. Um, there's a few things I just want to say. This is a little off topic, but I'm just going to go for it. Many financial analysts posit that the United States is actually the richest government in the history of the world. Some argue that it was Rome in AD 100. It's really interesting because that's very close to the time um, that this was written. Um, now, what is the leading cause of death in the United States in men and women right now? Heart disease. 
I think that's so interesting, right? In our excess, in our American excess and wealth. Now, you could, you could talk about us being in the top five or whatever, but in our excess and in our American health and excess, we have fattened our hearts literally. We have fattened our ventricles. <laughs> now, that's my son. He likes to just look, learn about the heart. Um, but I should add that if we are getting fat and our storage is overflowing with food, perhaps there are others, even in this church, that could benefit from the extra sustenance that you don't actually need. And if you're like me, you can share with others and you can still have a gut. It's okay. Like, you'll be fine. But, I, you know, I, I, I'd say that's glandular. You know, it's a glandular problem. It has nothing to do with the bomb barbecue or the chilaquiles or enchiladas, suizas. In this community, it's just more that, you know, I, I have a glandular problem. Okay, but for real, there's enough wealth in our church and enough need that our pantry should be filled up every week. It should be filled up every week. And I, I believe that you guys are doing a good job. Not every sermon has to be telling you why you suck. I, I want to say this too. You guys have done a great job filling the pantry for others. And those of you that have need, I'm stoked that you feel like you're part of this family enough that you can take. Okay, so we see how God feels about getting rich at the expense of others. Now, finally, James has a word for those who suffer. Finally, we can get into like the Christmas spirit, right? All right, uh, point number three, justice comes on God's timing. Justice comes on God's timing. Verse seven, therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. So to you who suffer, wait on God's deliverance as a farmer waits on his crops. What is perfect about this is that this is the first, summer, or first Sunday of Advent where we look at what it means to wait patiently for the return of Jesus And we think back on what it meant to be those in Israel who waited for the consolation of Israel to come and rescue them. That was Jesus. So we know that most likely he's not talking here about the rapture, the return of Christ in that way. James is saying those who are oppressed and mistreated will have their day. Now what does patience mean here though? I tell you, patience is not passive. Patience is not passive. Patience is not saying it will work itself out. Patience is not passive. For some, you may think that that means not to fight against those who oppress you. If you have been abused or mistreated, I want to tell you this. Being patient for the Lord does not mean uh, that you have to just sit back. Just because you're waiting for him to avenge you does not mean for you to sit back. I tell you, if you're being abused, then go to the police or go to someone in authority and to fight back. Um, But also to wait patiently for the Lord to work as well in those moments. Patiently wait for him to work a healing in you. Patiently wait for him to fully comfort you. Does a farmer sit on his hands? No. Man, when we talk about farmers, those are some of the hardest working people in the world. And it says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. Friends, so many of us are called to action with understanding of the Lord's final deliverance, and justice. It's that yes and. We're called to be patient, but we are not called to sit on our hands. Tony Evans says it this way. He says, the problem is that many people don't know how to exercise patience. They equate patience with twiddling their thumbs, but that's not biblical patience. I remember in Kansas, every time April would roll around when I lived there, uh, we were in for severe weather season. 
Um, it's like you guys have like a bathing suit season here. We had severe weather season. And so what we would do is we'd start getting everything ready, knowing that a tornado would come through our neighborhood at some point. So we would go to grocery stores. It was crazy because if there was a tornado, like if there was like the right temperature and stuff for tornadoes to happen, they would call it like a tornado outbreak. Like you go to the store and it was like, they had like veggie chips available and nothing else. You know, like everything was gone and they didn't like veggie chips. Um, so, you know, we scored on that one. But, but you would set up bedding downstairs in the basement, getting ready just in case. We had a, you know, our son was very small, and so we had a pack and play down there ready for him just in case the storm came. And there would be days when they would say, it's a tornado warning, be ready. Now, all our preparation didn't bring the tornado any sooner. We just prepared knowing it was coming. In the same way, you guys know, I put up Christmas lights the moment my wife says, yes, you can put up Christmas lights. I can't bring Christmas any sooner, but I am sure as heck going to put up those lights as soon as she lets me. I'm going to put that Christmas tree up as soon as Halloween's over if she'll let me. Why? Because I love it. But I can't bring Christmas any sooner. So you prepare, you do everything you can, and then you wait patiently. But the crazy thing here, and the thing that's really hard for me is God is still patient with the oppressor. God is still patient with the one who has sinned against you, friends. Because all of us have sinned and all of us need salvation. And all of us are sinners who hurt others and need salvation. And sometimes that salvation is just forgiveness for something we've done wrong. Other times it's forgiveness for something major we've done wrong. But here, God has intervened and it says, You have condemned and you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. Why do I like that verse? Now, I don't know if that's necessarily talking about Jesus. It's split once again in my study. But the thing is, is the one who we murdered took it on the chin for us because we murdered him. Make no mistake, when we have sinned, we've given God good reason for his death. He has walked into our lives and forgiven us. And this is what the beauty of the gospel is, friends. We've sinned against God. We've chosen our own way. We're jerks to everybody. We do it all the time, right? And yet we have one who loved us who loved us enough to say, you know what? That's my beloved. And friends, if you find yourself feeling like the oppressed or the oppressor today, he is a God who includes us all if we are willing to repent of our sin. And even you, the oppressed, you have sin as well. And we have called to repent. Now, what happens when we repent? Well, here's the deal. Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect life, the life we could never live. And he sacrificed himself on the cross so we might have life and life abundant. On that third day, he rose again, showing to the world that he had defeated death, showing to the world that he had defeated our sin, and he conquered it that day, friends. Now, 2 Peter 3, 8 through 10 says this, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Now, depending on where you are in your life right now, that may sound like a lot of hope, or it may sound kind of like, it might like bother you a little bit. This person, the person in your life that is hurting you the most, God is patiently desiring them to repent. I struggle with that. I struggle with it. But as you suffer, friends, as you've been hurt and plagued by people with awful intentions, as you have suffered under the grip of anxiety, depression, drug abuse, as you always seem to worry about the next meal, the next couch to crash on, I want you to understand that God is very present with you. Not only did he die so you would receive salvation, but also he is now present in your life. 
And he can use even your suffering to help others. Someone may be watching you suffer right now. They're wondering how you are able to endure the awful things you've been through. Friends, it is the presence of God's Holy Spirit. And even now, you are inspiring them to faith. I've been through some things where people have said, I could never do what you you went through. I could never have done that. And it's like, well, God provided in that moment. And yes, you could. So friends, I I just want to remind you one thing. Don't let your stuff poison your soul. Don't hold on to it so much that you're unwilling to give it, and it's like me with Snickers at 3 a.m. That's not good. Number two, um, he hears those who cry out, and he administers justice to those who would oppress the poor. Let us consider ways more and more we can change our habits so that we can worship God even in our spending. Number three, justice comes on God's timing. Some of you may be waiting patiently, waiting patiently for God to come and fix a situation, set it to right, and I just tell you, continue to do what you need to do, but find your hope and, and, and your, your hope in his promise. And so, friends, let me close with a quote um, from Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. He says this, I have attempted to see my personal ordeals as an opportunity to transform myself and heal the people involved in the tragic situation which now obtains. I have lived these last few years with the conviction that unearned suffering is redemptive. Can I say it again? I have lived these last few years with the conviction that unearned suffering is redemptive. So if you suffer today, God can use that for his glory. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are our present. And uh, God, I thank you that you uh, speak to us and challenge us. That you don't come with this condemning voice because we know the gift of your son, Jesus, that you have come to set us free. So God, we ask in this moment of silence that as we confess our sins to you, that you would be gracious to accept them. Thank you, Lord, that uh, as we get it wrong all the time, that you are quick to forgive as we hurt each other, as we hurt the people we love most, that you show us that you love us still, that your love does not wane with our struggle, but it's fierce, pursuing, and compassionate. God, thank you that you've not grown tired with us, but you've been patient We thank you that as far as the east is from the west, so our sin is from your sight. How good it is to sit together and stand together and sing together a forgiven people. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, we love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name.